On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses fishes, suits. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friend Tom Corcoran and for tonight's special guest star Ken Gregory as we cover the next album in the Fish solo catalog, Suits. All right, gentlemen, welcome to uh, this special episode of the palaver in terms of recording schedule um can i introduce you as a special guest star for tonight because you have agreed despite your very busy schedule to join us for a few moments and, and help us out with the uh with the timeline of progressive rock between internal exile and suits which is very well, cool th- thank you joe you're, you're way too kind my, my, my voice is worn here like an old couch but um uh, if, <laughs> if, if you will if you will take me as a guest for this evening i i, I do have a love relation uh, love hate relationship with Derek william dick fish he's just wonderful his merillion melodies his some of his solo melodies ring in my head but i was not able to pull it together for the palaver to to fully uh, absorb his catalog in, in order to contribute like you and tom to these but i i'm delighted to just jump in here real quickly i'm also fascinated with robin bolt I really enjoy his guitar playing. He does a great job. Just catching him on YouTube in a few uh, cases and learning more about him has, has been a real joy. And I think he's he's been, you know, the ideal sidekick for Fish's solo career. So it's not that I'm not following along. I, I just couldn't do so in detail and get caught up for, for these episodes. So... What happened between Internal Exile, which was uh, 1991, either September, December, uh, depending on where you were at the time, and uh, the 1994 Suits album? I I take it you guys did not cover Songs from the Mirror? We decided to not cover Songs from the Mirror um, un- simply because it was a an album of covers, which is a little bit maybe outside of our core mission. And so we just made the decision to not do it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Song- songs from the Mirror happened in 1993. And I'm sure as a third album in the solo career, it, it helped breathe some new life into it. And he had probably already been fishing these out with the bands or maybe even playing them live. And it, it, I'm sure. Well, that- there, there, there's, there's, there's some rampant speculation that it was a contractual obligation album um, as he was trying to divorce himself from Polydor. Oh, I like this. I like this. You, I like working with smart guys. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. So I'll call it the Speak of the Devil of the Fish Catalog. <laughs> <laughs> Speak of the Devil being go. Ozzy's contractual obligation, uh, to which he was not really fully prepared after Randy Rhodes' death. Okay. So, um, yep, yep. Songs from the Era aside, uh, what, what exactly happened between 1991 and 1994? in our famed timeline of progressive rock. Uh, Genesis, We Can't Dance, came out in October of 91. 
Echo Lynn, self-titled in 1991, as we learn more about our famous uh, Pennsylvania under the wire progressive rock band. In 1992, Tool, OP8. Uh, we've got some Hawkwind, Porcupine Tree, ELP did Black Moon, uh, Dream Theater. Uh, Zap is still active at that point. Roger Waters did Amused to Death. King Crimson, The Great Deceiver. Uh, Genesis, The Way We Walk, Volume 1, The Shorts, Pink Floyd, Shine On, Box Set, Porcupine Tree, into 1993, Genesis, The Way We Walk, Volume 2. Uh, again, more Zappa. Tool Undertow, 1993, that was uh, kind of monumental at the time. Uh, Steve Hackett, Guitar Noir, Porcupine Tree, Camel, Steve Howe, Grand Scheme of Things. Uh, Dream Theater, Rush Counterparts, more Porcupine Tree. And then finally, cutting over into February 1994. Anyone want to take a guess in February of 94? What did Marillion release? I should know this, and I'm afraid I'm going to botch it. Was it? Probably the second Steve Hogarth album. In 94? I'm sorry, third. It would have to be. Brave? Brave? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Indeed. And having seen them on tour in Nashville, what did Yes release in 1994? Talk. Yes, indeed. And uh, Tom, you told a wonderful story about going to record stores in Boston. What did Pink Floyd release in 1994? Not the Delicate Sound of Thunder, but um, the one after that. (laughs) Yes, the Division Bell. Bell. Yeah, Division Bell. Yes, yes. And <laughs> um, all right, if you're playing at home, what did uh, Queensryche release in October of 1994? Was that Promise, Promised Land? Yes. Yeah. I was yes. Say yes. Probably yes. Promised Land. Uh, switching over to uh, Suits. Let's find out exactly. That w- would have been May 1994, actually. So I went a little bit beyond this. Yeah. Home. So so Fish was not influenced by Promised Land in the least. Not, not not chronologically, but all those other titles he may have been glancing at uh, come out, and he may have been influenced by those. Outstanding. Well, Ken, thank you for for you know stopping uh, by long enough to to take us through that timeline. Uh, complete non sequitur aside, I'd mentioned it, I'd meant to share this. I was very excited um, just this weekend. Actually, I got news. So you mentioned Roger Waters. I had purchased. Tickets to see Roger Waters' This Is Not A Drill before the COVID-19 pandemic ground the music world to a halt. I happily held on to those tickets because my Ticketmaster app told me that the the show was just postponed. I got a new scheduled date. It is now official. October 8th, 2022. I will wow. be seeing Roger Waters <laughs> wow. at the American Airlines Center in Dallas. So can't wait for that. Nice. If I set aside $2 a day before then, I could afford concert tickets and a plane ticket to join you there. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty far away. It is oh, It is heavens. pretty far away. Um, but at least it's it's a definite, and I have, you know, my tickets are still valid, which is great. Well, congratulations. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, Joe, great to see you. Tom, really especially great to see you. It's been a while. I'm going to let my first vaccine dose punch me in the face again, as it's been doing all weekend, and and get some rest. Awesome. You do that. Stay safe, my friend. We'll talk to you later. Cheers. Awesome, Ken. All right. Take care.
All right. So, Tom, now it's just you and me to talk a little fish. And um, since since Ken already went us through the, the timeline, we'll go into the particulars and then we can have a, a pleasant conversation amongst ourselves. This is wonderful. Suits uh-huh. was released in May of 1994. It was the first, I believe, release on the Dick Brothers Record Company label and produced by James Cassidy. Personnel include Derek W. Dick, or Fish, on vocals, Lorna Bannon on background vocals, Robin Bolt on guitar, James Cassidy on keyboards, Mark Duff on flute, human whistle, Charlie McCarran on fiddle, David Murray on bagpipes, Foster Patterson, keyboards, backing vocals, David Patton, bass guitar, background vocals, Fraser Spears on harmonica, Frank Usher on guitar, and Kevin Wilkinson on percussion and drums. The track listing, and um, I, 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 I have to tell you, I'm a little bit confused by this because the typeset on the CD that I've had for all these years isn't immediately clear, but on the wikis, the first track is listed as Mr. Capital M, lowercase r, 1470. It's uh, It looks like MR, 1470 on the uh, the CD I have. Followed by Lady Let It Lie, Emperor's Song, Fortunes of War, Somebody Special, No Dummy, Pipeline, Jumpsuit City, Bandwagon, and Raw Meat. And we don't normally talk about uh, bonus things on remastered editions on the Palaver, but I, I do want to spend just a, maybe a few minutes at the end of all this talking very briefly about Black Canal, which was on the remastered edition along with Out of My Life. Suits is the fourth solo album by former Marillion singer Fish and his third studio album with original material, discounting 1993's cover project Songs from the Mirror. It is the first album to be released on Fish's new own label, the Dick Brothers Record Company, which he set up after being dropped by Polydor. The album continues the cooperation with producer James Cassidy, who had already produced Songs from the Mirror. Cassidy also contributed keyboard recording and co-wrote five out of ten songs on the original version of this album. Together with keyboardist Foster Patterson, who had been part of the tour lineup since 1992 and co-wrote three tracks. Cassidy takes the role previously held by Mickey Simmons. Further songwriting credits go to guitarist Robin Bolt and bassist David Patton. The album took Fish the longest time yet to make. Several songs on it had already premiered live in the summer of 1992. And that's what we have in front of us. Now, you know, this is this is interesting. So very recently, I had decided to support Fish himself directly and fill in some of the gaps in my in my Fish catalog. And and I purchased again directly from Fish Fellini Days, A Feast of Consequences and Two copies of Velchmert's the CD, as well as the um, the the vinyl version. And so, a feast of consequences. I got the 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 remastered deluxe version. And for Fellini Days, I got you the. You did get feast of consequences. I okay, did. I'm yeah. very glad. I'm glad. So okay. I got I got that, and and on on Fellini Days, I just got the the regular remaster, and, and I almost. At this point, I almost want to go back in and buy all the remasters because there's a 
just a wealth of information that Fish shares about these albums in these remasters. Now, as I mentioned, mm. the the physical copy I have of Suits that I have had for low these many years is is exactly that. It's old. It's an original um, version of this, and so it does not have all the extra you know lore that that accompanies this. So, my lore. For this record, besides the fact, as I already mentioned, it seems that, you know, um, you know, this was the first one that Fish had done on his own label. And that's about all the lore I've got here. I, I don't. But based on things that I've read, the remastered version does have a lot of, of background on the songs and the recording that I wish I had. So, um, you know, we're, we're at a bit of a disadvantage based on some of the available material versus what I have at my disposal. Do we know any lore on the fact that Suits, as far as the cover goes, is the only cover that does not feature Fish's face? I mean, it it depends on how you look at it, right? Because Songs from the Mirror does not, but it's, you know, we kind of took that out of the canon a little bit. Yeah. Um, Yin and Yang don't, but they're not, they're like compilations and redos. Uh, I guess Sunsets on yeah. Empire doesn't have his face either. Rain Gods with Zippos. Isn't that him on the front? Is it? I isn't that him on the... I never thought it was him. Uh... Okay. Um, no, that looks too oh, deranged to be fish. Okay. Um, Rain Gods with Zippos certainly has his face. Fellini Days does. Field of Crows does. 13 Star does not. Oh, okay. And Feast of Consequences doesn't either. It's got the tree. You know, there's so many. Um, oh, see, so, but you know what you just stumbled upon, Tom? I mean, if I I'm were sorry. to ever get there. This is a category in Fish by the Numbers. You know, what percentage of album covers feature Fish's face? <laughs> it's still a very large percentage. It, it, it <laughs> does seem to be, as you would expect from a solo uh, catalog. And, and I know we have a couple weeks before we get there, but I just want to say that Rain Gods with Zippos, I think, is an absolutely spectacular name for an album. I hated that for years. I mean, it's goofy. Uh, well, Don't I get mean, me wrong, but <laughs> it, uh, all right. So let, let, let's back up here for a second. We've just opened yeah, we're, up we're all over floor. the place. <laughs> I have a lot to say based on um, what you had just brought up. Awesome. The fish catalog has been this very unique graph to me, where every other album I love, and when I, I hear it, I want to hear more of that album. Okay. And when the next one comes out, I'm disappointed. It's just not what I wanted to hear. And then years later, I will discover it in a new light. A lot of times, the ones that I originally did not care for end up being some of my favorite albums. And I think that's why you guys, I think I'd asked a couple times what I think of Fish's last album. Velschmerz. Yeah. I'm only partially German, so I always butcher that pronunciation. <laughs> I didn't really want to say a lot because I loved A Feast of Consequences so much. And right now, that stands as my favorite Fish album. I didn't want to be disappointed. And I, I didn't want to like fall into the same trap, being that it was his last album, it was a double album. We'll talk about all that later. But backing up, I never was a big fan of Suits. 
That being said, there are some really wonderful moments on this album. I'm glad we're talking about them because a lot of the things that I'm hearing that he starts, some of the ideas he actually finishes later on in the catalog, and some of that is on the Feast of Consequences. Okay. So I'm glad to talk about this with almost a clear head, not comparing it with other stuff, because Fish gives you something different on every album. And Fish gives you uh, a wide range of styles, instrumentation. He's not afraid to bring in different instruments on different albums. He's not afraid to give you like a, a dance type of song that you can dance to. He's not afraid to rock out. He's not afraid to sing the love song. And he does it with different styles. Ken brought up something on the text thread and he, he wasn't too happy with this album. And he, he was talking about how he thought Fish tended to simplify things a little bit too easy. And I was thinking about that. And I think one of the things that Ken was thinking about was the fact that on this album, most of the songs are verse chorus. Yeah. And that might be the thing that he was hung up on. But as far as the instrumentation, a lot of the, the intricacies of this, there is some depth to, to this album. And I think some of the simplicity he was talking about was the verse chorus. And I guess I, I would agree with Ken if that's what he was referring to, because after a while you do want to hear a little bit more. When most of the songs are verse, chorus, verse, chorus, you really want to get away from that. You really want to hear a little bit of, uh, a little bit more depth in, in the songs. Yeah, and you know, I've I've had, I've had a, a sort of a, a checkered history with this record myself. For me, it is very clearly not at the level of Internal Exile or Sunsets on Empire. It's it's just not, and and I can't say Feast of Consequences because I still haven't listened to that. I'm very oh. I'm very interested to, um, but you know, it, it this is certainly not that. And and I feel that way about you know most of the Fish catalog, Rain Gods with Zippos, Thirteen Star, uh, you know, uh, all of that. It's you know a lot of those are sort of touch and go for me, but I I do. It's not like I don't like this song or this album. Honestly, I often don't know what to do with a lot of Fish's solo records. You know, with the exception of those those big ones, for me, a lot of these these records, I think, for the reason that you talked about, Tom, where Fish is is not afraid to kind of run a broad field, it, the albums can come off a little maybe uneven for me. You know, it's it's not like you just kind of dig in and you're in this this zone. You kind of have to sort of pick and choose. But th this opening track is has always always stuck in my head, w regardless of how I feel about the rest of of the record. The way it opens up, you know, is to me I think is is just brilliant. And I do think vocally, and and we're going to see this trajectory. I I think with Fish over his solo career that that quite frankly started you know with Marillion so if you think about the first two you know Marillion records script for Jester's Tear and Fugazi you know Fish didn't necessarily know how to sing 
but he had this wealth of emotion. He was, you know, kind of singing in, in ranges that maybe weren't well suited for him and were sometimes not the most pleasant to listen to, but you certainly got the feeling of what he was trying to get across. Certainly by, you know, misplaced childhood and and clutching at straws, he had sort of, you know, tightered that out a little bit and achieved maybe a more focused and more relaxed or natural sort of delivery. And then in his first two solo records, there was still you know, a lot of emotion there. But it was, you know, he was still getting much better at, at the craft of singing, I think. Part of my beef with the later catalog, and again, I haven't I haven't listened to A Feast of Consequences, but it, it sort of seems to manifest itself, is that a lot of that edge, that emotional cutting high-range edge that Fish has early in his career is gone. And he's almost too relaxed and too, you know, sort of low-key in terms of his delivery. And, and I think I, I think Suits and, and certainly Sunsets on Empire, for me, sort of present the, the balance point there. Because there are still some moments in here where he kind of vocally digs in and, and gets that sort of, you know, energetic, uh, not quite gravelly, but almost abrasive sort of delivery when he needs to. It's not always there. It's used judiciously. And, and I think my impression is after this and, and maybe the next album, you start to see that less and less. We'll see how that goes, but I think that certainly applies here. And, and, and you know, there are some songs in this record that, quite frankly, I just don't know what to do with. I just don't understand them necessarily. And, and that may be a failing on me much more than it is on, on Derek and his band. I, I tend to think that this would have been a much better record if it ended after track eight. The later songs, uh, I yeah. feel that they were extra, you know, almost B-sides that they didn't really know what to do with. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that I disagree with that. Shall we just get into it and, and, and sure. go track by track and, and see where it takes us? Yeah. Since I, I kind of started already. Now, uh, I'm curious, like I said, it, did you have... Did you know this was always Mr. 1470 or? I did. I did. You know, okay. I, I always thought, I, I guess it's clever. That's called, you know, Mr. 1470. Yeah. Um, but it's to me, I always heard it as suits, like the song suits. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, absolutely. That's that. That's the hook. You bring up something interesting. And what I didn't know, this subject matter is one of the things that, I feel he touches on in this album and that we hear a lot in the Feast of Consequences. And I, I'm really interested in the subject matter. Uh, and I'm glad that he actually brought back some of this stuff and he was able to really dig deeper on the later albums because I, 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 I really love this. So I agree with you loving the song. I... I knew that it was called Mr. 1470, but I didn't know, is 1470 like, is that like a soldier number? Or I guess I, because I always thought it was a year. It's funny you should say that because I, I originally thought the exact same thing. I thought it was, was a year. But if we, if we look, um, if you look at the lyrics, it, it seems to be 
not a soldier's identification number, but a prisoner identification number. So here I sit in my bones on the bones upon the hill. So we're still talking about the hill, which I think is funny. Um, mm -hmm. Staring out at the wild blue yonder, digging deep, I'd found buttons in my pockets. Naked now, my skin be begins to crawl. I dream suits, I see suits. Looking back, was there ever such a moment? Immersed in mystery, I was witnessing a crime. Digging deep, I came across a murder among the roots of our spreading family tree. We learned to love, we learned to kill, we taught ourselves to rule the world. There I stood, face pressed against the window. I know his number, but I'll never know his name. Behind the glass, buried in the sockets, a recognition, my skin begins to crawl. So... Yeah, there's there's something here, and, and you know, I, I'm not going to suggest that this is autobiographical in any way, shape, or form. But again, it's one of those things where I wish I had the remastered version with all of the, the background information, because I would love to know how far this goes. But But when I read this, it seems very much like someone, you know, discovers in their in their family tree someone who did time for murder. And it's interesting because then they have to figure out what to do with that. And um, there's, there's a great line in here. So here we live in our bones, on the bones beneath the soil, staring out, mortal in the darkness, digging deep. We try to find the answers to all the questions that hatch within our skulls. And I just, I love that because it, it, it's so evocative of, you know, when you find out something like this and you could really have this sort of crisis of, of identity, right? Like, what does this mean to me? What is, and, and you know, let's, let's just pull something completely in out of the, uh, out of the woodwork here. So I've been recently rewatching the reimagined Battlestar Galactica series and the, the point where the final, well, the the final four, because the final, the fifth one has been already dispatched. But when the final four figure out their Cylons and they have this this crisis of like, what the hell am I? I just think it's very clever, and I love like musically the this this digging deep line that that shows up um, in a couple of these verses. I just I love the way that's delivered. I love the way the music flows through that, and of course the the big uh, you know. Is it is a gang vocal the right word with the suits in the background? Yeah, it just yeah. I, I, it's it's a little gimmicky, but I it just it makes me giddy. I love it. I love it too. I, I thought I I understood the song, but now that you talk about it, maybe I, I had something different in mind. <laughs> I I was thinking about uh, war and atrocities in war when you start when you come up, you know, like a crime. Mm -hmm. um, something like, like a horrific, maybe some of the horrific things that happened in war that you don't want to talk about. Well, you know, maybe scarred, scarred the family line or the family tree. Maybe I brought that up because one of my favorite songs on Feast of Consequences is a song called Highwood. And it's about, you know, how sort of trees see generations of things around it. And one of the things they see is, is war. And I was sort of picturing that. I, I might have just missed the boat because I was thinking about that I, I, that song. I, I, and I, I don't think so, Tom, because literally, 
And, and and again, you know, for anyone who has the either has the lore behind this song, whether they have the remastered version or not, you know, my apologies if I'm completely wrong. Because up until, you know, like a week ago, I had always thought it was the the the, the family tree he was talking about and, and this pivotal number, because I always thought it was a year is I thought it was a year. And I thought it had something to do, like some dark moment in Scottish history was my initial thinking, to the point where I started right. Googling, you know, Scotland 1470 and nothing came up. And I'm like, I did okay. the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, well, maybe that's not it. I don't know. Um, but whatever it is, I, I don't even know that I much care. I just, I think this is a stellar way to open this song or, or this album, or, or maybe it's not because in some ways it's probably the best song on the record and, and you get, you get through it. And then, you know, it's kind of downhill from here overall. But I, I do, I do think this song is just a gem. It is definitely one of the high points and where you, after you hear this song, you're expecting it to go a certain direction and it doesn't quite live up to the things that the first song does. So there is a richness to the song that I really enjoy. There's a production and that you touched upon where they say suits and things like that, that you don't hear in Internal Exile or the, or the first, his first album uh, I mean, there, there, are, there are some good production moments on those albums, but this in particular is a really nice sounding song that has a lot of uh, depth to the instrumentation. And I think this a song like this is hard to keep up when you think about it. So, and again, being that this is early in his solo career, you know, he just wasn't wasn't able to do it. But I'm thankful that, Later in his career, you know, we were we we were able to see some of this stuff come to fruition. There is a light at the end of the tunnel here. Yeah, it's, it's just not on the <laughs> <laughs> So that takes us to "Lady Let It Lie." The 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 first note that I have here, and I, and I feel terrible, but I, I don't know that I really care for the chorus in this song. I really like the chorus, this song. In Do fact, you? I had it, I had this incredible thing happen right before we we started this. My wife, bless her heart, every night, if I'm doing stuff in the studio, I'm the one who cooks dinner, and I have to have my music on, right? Right. And she always comes home when I'm in the middle of cooking or doing dishes, and she always just hates everything I'm listening to. <laughs> well, sometimes I'm listening to something like really obnoxious, you know, like, you know, Judas Priest, that's really loud. But, you know, sometimes I'm just listening to like Toad Wet's Rock and she right. still has a problem with it. And uh, she's like, can we turn it down? And I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm just listening to Toad Wet's Rock. And so um, she seems to always have a problem with what I'm listening to. And right before we went on air here, I was listening to this song. And I'm in the studio, and our laundry room is right outside my my studio. And um, it was quiet in there. And then in, toward the middle of the song, she's like, "Who is this?" I'm like, "Oh, this is Fish." She's like, "Wow, I really like this." <laughs> and I was so shocked. I'm like, "Really, this song?" It's weird that this album was released the same year as Brave, a girl's tragic story. 
And um, this is not a very pleasant uh, story. I feel weird about saying it. It's sort of like a feel-good song, even in a, in, a, in a tragic way. And I think I, that's what I'm attracted to about about this song. Well, and and, and I w- yeah, I was just going to say that when you were when you're talking about sort of the subject matter because this is a perfect example of of sonic dissonance because that. The, the the especially during that chorus section, the music is absolutely bubbly, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's bouncy, and 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 it, and it just it, it seems completely incongruous with with not only the lyrics in the the verse itself, but just the the you know the the tone of the song overall. It, it's very strange, and, and I mean, it is it's it's very clever. The way he he runs all those together, all the boys want to be, all the girls want to be, all the boys. I don't want to be me no more. You know, it, it it's it, lyrically, it's it's as clever as as fish is going to be. It just it, it's a little too bouncy for my taste. In some of the early listens to this album when it first came out, I might not have liked it because of that. Especially if you compare it to Internal Exile, right? And it, it's definitely. That, that was a good word you had, bouncy. I mean, it, was really, it just is a bouncy song. But I, it's just, I'm sort of a sucker for it. And I, I like uh, the beauty of it. It has an edge, it has a pulse. And I think he's still, you know, telling the story of this girl. I like how the song has a richness to it. And you can really feel for this girl, yet sort of lose yourself in the chorus and sing along and then kind of go back into it and then sort of go back into the darkness. So I think that's, that's actually, this is probably one of the reasons why I like fish is this song and, and where, where he can take you on that ride. Interesting. Okay, cool. So that leads us then into track three emperor's song. And, and this is another enigma. Do I love this song or do I hate this song? I don't know. It may depend on the time of day, the phase of the moon. I, I, I'm not 100% certain. It, it certainly is an earworm. It gets, it gets into my head and it won't go away. I honestly don't know what to make of this. <laughs> well, you know, Joe, this is interesting because when we were talking about Big Wedge, we really made fun of it more we, than anything else we and were we were I, not kind to big even Witch. though we made fun of it we weren't kind but we we still liked it like we still said you know what when this song comes on yeah that's I'm, true i'm happy emperor's song i really enjoy it even when i was in my i hate suits phase <laughs> this was the song that i would go to and say okay well this is a reason why i'm hanging in there i would go so far joe as to say this song and the first song are like the top two I, I like this as much as the, as the first one. I, I, just, I really like the production of this. And I know we're very careful when we talk about gang vocals. Yeah. Because, again, there's a fine line between making fun of gang vocals and things working and things not working. And uh, to me, there's a reason why there's a gang vocal here. And, okay, a lot of people are singing. And I know why a lot of people would be singing right it's almost a spiritual song there's a lot of praising and and there's a reason why there are gang vocals and i think i'm able to go with it and just go for that ride you know the other day i was on a hike 
and I, I had this in and I was sort of bouncing through the, the canyon and I was, um, you know, sort of taken to another time and place as I was going through the wilderness here. I really do like this song. So we're doing this thing back and forth with Peter Gabriel and Fish. And, yep. and so I, I, I did want to bring in a little bit of a, a Peter Gabriel influence that I hear here. The, the keyboards are yeah. real Peter Gabriel influence on this. <laughs> and, you know, it's Fish sort of rides that line sometimes. It's like, okay, is he paying homage or is it a little too close? Luckily, I love the song so much, I'm able just to sort of go with it. The keyboard line and the keyboard tone is very, very Peter Gabriel. I think that's that's a really, really good call out. Absolutely. And it's always fun when you find these sorts of uh, these uh, cross points. You know, and, and I think if I don't think about it, if I'm if I'm just playing this record and not thinking about it in palaver terms, I like it. Because it, it's it's got it's got a good hook. It's got the the cadence of the of the lyrics and the verses are you know it just kind of grabs you and pulls you in. It's only when I stop and, and try to think about it critically that I I get myself twisted into knots um, when, when I think right. about this. So one of the the points that I've I've been sort of trying to pay attention to or think about is through the 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 first four Marillion records and even the first couple of of fish records i've gone gushing about his lyrics and he's toned down some of his his linguistic gymnastics but he'll still pull something out that that really yeah. kind of gets me and, and in this particular case but a younger man's just taking on your job we've all got long-term contracts with the man upstairs but who's picking up the options on our souls when it's one life firm and the deal is up you bow down bow down to the emperor's song and it's like oh, all right got me <laughs> yeah yeah you know I think maybe sometimes I just need to think less. <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of curious, Tom, given some of the things that you've already said about this record, what are your thoughts on Fortunes of War? This is the first point in the album where I'm not totally excited. Okay. This is the, it's like a warning shot. I, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> not at all surprised to hear you say that, but please continue. I'm a big fan of when, when, when he slows things down changes up the tempo and, and you really have some some drastic moments, some drastic dynamics. And so just the title, Fortunes of War, and just turning it into a, such a slow song. And the chorus doesn't really go anywhere. This is sort of like a warning shot to, you know, some of the things that may come up in the later songs. So I am not a huge fan. I'm not a huge fan, Joe. Yeah. I generally kind of like fortunes of war. I described it in my notes as sonically soothing. If you dig into the lyrics, I don't know that it's at all soothing. It seems to be quite ominous in, in some regards, but, but here again, and and this is an interesting part of this album. Fish does not really, I, I and I wish I knew more about how Fish albums are created, because it seems <laughs> like Fish is doing his thing, and the band are doing their thing, and 
you know, whether they match up tonally in spirit or not, it doesn't seem to matter to anyone. So I, I'm having this this sort of soothing experience with my ears in terms of the music. But when I look at the lyrics and I think about this, I'm like, well, I don't think I should really be enjoying myself at all here. Hmm. So, you know, I, I don't really know. But but again, for me, when I listen to the, the guitar and the bass um, in this song in particular, they, they work together to create a very nice texture about this. And a very odd note that I have here in my little notebook about underneath this, and it it applies to everything up to this point, but I, for whatever reason, felt compelled to note it here is that, you know, and, and my note says the drummer is spot on on this album. And, and it's not often that we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, drummers in particular, although I've been listening to Afraid of Sunlight a lot recently, and I think Ian Mosley is spectacular on that album as well. But, but for whatever reason, here in this in this particular song, and and it's not like the drums even play a huge part in this song. So why it's here, I couldn't tell you. But this is where it is, and this is a, an observation that I made. So you know, I'm I'm okay with Fortunes of War, but I I totally get what you're saying about it sort of being, you know, a warning shot for maybe where we're going to go from here. It's certainly different from, you know, Emperor's Song or 1470, certainly. When we were going over the Pink Floyd albums, there was a common thread where we would bring up uh, the fact that some earlier Roger Waters stuff was like a precursor, like he was trying to write a song. And then, you know, later on, we realized, okay, this was a song that he was really trying to write. He had to do it in stages. But again, this is something that he he did that in Feast of Consequences, he did much better. And to your point, yes, I agree. There's just a, a little bit of a disconnect between the subject matter and the music. And you're just not quite there. There's moments that are that are so nice, and I'm like, wow, just did I? Is there something I'm not getting? Time and time again, especially recently, like I'm still not getting it. <laughs> it's still, it's still, there's, there's there's still a disconnect, and I can appreciate it, and I'm and I'm really glad that he was eventually able to do it in the in, later in his career. Fish is is in some regards a, a different creature than Peter Gabriel, but the first, you know, in, in our coverage of the first two Peter Gabriel albums, the 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 theme that we came up with or that we kept sort of, you know, looking towards was those albums illustrate a musician out on his own trying to figure out who and what he is. And, and I think, you know, I, th- I think Fish is having a very similar experience here in these these first few records. And, and, and I do think, and this is this is my, you know, my thing, and I, I don't know if everyone else on the Palaver agrees with it. I think a lot of the, a lot of the impact or the way that Internal Exile comes across 
it, it obviously has something to do with the songwriting, but I think a lot of it has to do with Chris Kimsey being in there and putting his stamp on it as well. And and now we don't have, you know, Chris Kimsey here because, it, it, you know, in these first three albums, you know, I, I my, my feeling is that Internal Exile is a little bit off the trend line. It's a little bit different from from the rest but it still has this sort of concept because there was there was some sonic dissonance on that album as well we have a, a you know a singer a lyricist who's trying to find the right people to work with and and put make sure the things fit together in the right way so on just good friends right you know he he had a certain presentation but clearly, by the time they re-recorded that for, for Yin or Yang, whichever one it was on, it was a slightly different interpretation and one that certainly speaks to you a lot more. And so, you know, that that may be part of this maturation process of of Fish being able to to articulate what he wants, getting the people together and and collaborating in in a more unified way. Maybe I'm just, you know, I could be talking out my ass. I don't know. But but that's kind of what I'm thinking about here. We're seeing the fact that how difficult it is when you don't have a a band and the continuity and the uh and the glue of a of a band that especially like Marillion right that really holds everything together and someone to be like no that doesn't work like you know they didn't like big wedge when i heard it <laughs> no, duh. there's no 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 surprise there really but there's just you know people that are able to together come up with better decisions for the band and you know sometimes you, the solo stuff is better so that moves us on to somebody special Fish grooves? Big fat question mark. Really? Okay. <laughs> this is another one. Uh, you know, if if you look at the the lyrics of this, it doesn't seem like it's a happy song, right? Uh, but but again, uh, the you know, I think this in terms of of lyrics on this album is is really quite well done i like the structure here i like the way he sort of builds this up and i do think it's funny funny in the sense of odd because i just i don't fully understand it right this this concept of suits comes up explicitly here again yeah. um when, when he keeps repeating the line she wants to wear suits mm -hmm. and so you know is is there some sort of underlying theme throughout this record about suits being a stand-in for you know how people want to portray themselves in their lives is it is it you know an expression of what either you want or you have i mean it, it, that's what i'm picking up here right or, or am i wrong i i don't know yeah i i think about that a lot when i when i hear this and i'm like did he really have something deeper here suits should be if you have a common thread yeah th there would be an interesting concept for like a concept album like right um you know someone wearing different different suits through you know a period of a, a lifetime and the different things that you're going through and it could mean a, a suit for you know a deck of cards or something i mean there's a lot of things that you could put in there to have like a, a nice common thread for a concept album, but uh, it's just sort of thrown out there. I mean, well, first of all, I really like the song. Um, yeah. 
this is uh, another song. That when when we get to it, I'm like, my my god, this is just a, it's really good, really right? Well, but his band does a really good job of just. I, I really don't think of any of these guys as as hired guns. Like I, I really there's like a rich texture to a lot of these songs, and we've certainly heard that on Exile. We you know we we hear it all the way through, uh, and I, I think that in his head sort of simplified a lot of things, you know, with these, you know, verse choruses. And I, I think that he was really trying to make this his breakout album because there are really big productions on this album. And I'm going to say it again, Peter Gabriel-esque productions that, you know, could be hit songs. This is a very commercial song with depth and with a certain richness that's, I look for in music and I think that a song like this could have been on the radio and, you know, could have been, I mean, who knows? I just probably was a single, but I mean, I don't think it did too well. You know, it's just, it's a shame that it didn't because that this is a, this is a wonderful song. So it looks like the only singles from this record were Lady Let It Lie and Fortunes of War. And, and as I look at the wikis, you know, it, it's one thing that we neglected to mention at the top because we were kind of all over the map that um, this this record went to number 18 on the UK album charts. You know, that's that's kind of remarkable. And if I look at very quickly here. While you're looking for that, Joe, let me just say that that is amazing that he had fortunes of war as a single. You know, we talk a lot about how King's X were not really great at picking their singles. Yeah, um, yeah. He took this out of the King's X playbook. Because <laughs> um, Fortunes of War, I mean, that is not a single by any stretch. So that was a lost opportunity right there. I'm glad you looked that up because it should have at least been somebody special or even Emperor's Song. Yeah. Uh, oh, Emperor's Song would have been great. I mean, I, I'm shocked to hear that. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I just looked up Marillion's Brave, which also came out in 1994, went to number 10 on the UK album charts. That's a remarkable performance, I think, on on both of those, those counts. Yeah. But number 18 for, you know, no major label support and Fish's first uh, own label release. That's that's pretty amazing. Another thing that I came across while you were talking is I was looking because I kind of peeked ahead and I wanted to compare the the musicians on Sunsets on Empire, which is the next record that we're going to get to. There's some similarity but not much, but what I found out and my apologies when I was reading the list of musicians on this record, I had uh, inter I had read him off, his name off as Fraser Spears on harmonica, but actually on the wiki for Sunsets on Empire, it's corrected as Fraser Spires, S-P-E-I-R-S, and it says last name misspelled as Spears. So apparently there was some sort of, of copy problem on these two records where his name was was misspelled. So my apologies for that. I think I think somebody special or or Emperor's song would have made brilliant singles for this record. Maybe the subject matter of somebody special was, you know, was not uh, deemed appropriate for radio play. 
You know, when you got lines like, she put her mind to the classroom, but outside she learned more from giving head, uh, you know. And the hand with the football team line. Uh, that's yep. Right up. Hand with the football team. Um, she likes powders from Peru. You've got drug references. I mean, it's, you know, there, there's a lot going on here. I think that we would have seen this album in a different light if there was a different single on, on here for sure. Could have been. Although, you know, for us living in, in America, you know, this uh, it was only people like you and me who were going out looking for this who were going to find it, I think. You know, Fish wasn't on anyone's radar. It wasn't like you were going to come across him on MTV and he was going to be played on on certainly Philadelphia rock radio. Well, yeah, but the thing is, there would have been more opportunity to have a new audience with some of these upbeat, poppier songs. And I think that, you know, certainly Peter Gabriel was successful in doing this. These wildly were, successful. Yeah, uh, wildly successful. I'm not suggesting that these songs were in that same league, but a song like Somebody Special, you know, even with the subject matter, I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, what's the Frankie Goes to Hollywood song? I mean, that was... That's a good point. I think that there was an opportunity to at least go higher in the charts. Would it have been a Peter Gabriel moment? No. But there were still, it still would have been higher in the charts. And he, it still would have gotten him new blood in his arsenal of fans. And so I, I think it's a, a huge missed opportunity here. I, and, and I don't disagree with you at all. I'm curious to to go to the next song because this is No Dummy is another one of these confounding moments for me. I I once again am completely flummoxed on what to do with this song. I can't decide if I love it, hate it, admire it, despise it. I really really don't know. My notes on this song are fairly limited. I do enjoy the song. Uh, I like how the chorus takes you in a different direction. Completely. And it, it's risky. It's like, this is like a it risky is. way to go, but I'm going with it. And I like the fact that the, the chorus is so different. This is one of my favorite songs. Really? I mean, and, and it's it's well done, right? But the, the ducking and diving, thieving and lying, scrounging and skiving, surviving, I just the the way that comes out, it, it's just not anything you would ever, I would have ever thought to hear on a Fish record. I'm, I'm a huge 70s funk soul person. There's moments on here that really kind of bring me back, especially that section yeah. that you were singing to a 70s soul funk thing. And I, I really like how Fish will, he'll pepper you with something like this without totally going into it. You still have pieces of other styles. And he does it in a way where it's not so crazy that you just can't digest it, but you're, you're feeling it. And it's like when you listen to The Wall, another brick in the wall, I hear disco. Okay. Right. I'm like, yeah. Maybe a lot of people don't hear disco. Maybe they're just hearing a good song, but I love seventies disco. And I love that sort of pulse to another brick in the wall because of the disco influence. 
And so in this song, I'm sort of hearing a little bit of the 70s soul and yeah. it's done in a, an interesting way. And I, I really love it. Yeah. And, and it, you're absolutely right with the way it does do that. And, and here again, we have the, the suit motif popping back up. Me, I'm a weapon, a gun for hire, teaching the lesson. Going to be the guy in the white suit, going to get my hands on the white suit, because me, I'm no dummy. Me, I got muscle, no qualifications needed to hustle. Me, I'm a killer ready for the role of the serial killer. Going to get my hands on the white suit, ready for the fitting of the white suit, because me, I'm no dummy. So here we here here we go. You know, again we have the suit as sort of the the manifestation of someone's ambition. I wish I would have spent a little bit more time with the lyrics on the song. I'm always grooving so much with a song. I, think <laughs> I, I always forget. I always forget to uh, take some time and um, figure out what's what's going on here. But that that's interesting. You and I are kind of ping-ponging back and forth on this record a little bit. Um, so I am i can't wait. I'm on the edge of my seat when we talk about Pipeline. Generally speaking, I kind of like Pipeline. For me, it never maybe fully resolves itself into something musically that I sort of anticipate or feel that it should. But there's, there, there's something about that sort of maintained tension throughout that I do sort of respond to. I enjoy this song. And I'm I'm still in a good place when I hear this song. I think the memorable part of this song for me is that after this, we sort of go into not so great places for me. Yeah. I sort of jump off the wagon. One of the things that I like about this particular record, and it's I don't know if it makes any sense, but the whole set of lyrics is centered around the word waiting. We're waiting on all sorts of things. And that waiting, you know, again, helps create this sense of tension, of urgency, of, of whatever. And it sort of culminates every time in the last line of the chorus. And the chorus goes, and all the time I wonder why, just what or who the hell I am, where I'm at, where I'm from, where I'm going, where I belong. Tell me where I'm coming from because I'm waiting in the pipeline. And, and it changes a little bit, but the chorus always ends in because I'm waiting in the pipeline. And, and you know, this is one of those moments where when he gets to that, that phrase, pipeline, he kind of digs in a little bit and, and kind of almost spits it out at you. And, and it's like, oh, okay, I like it. I'm on board. It seems like the way they sing it in the chorus, it's on an offbeat. Yeah. All times I wonder why it's like not quite on the beat. And then when he hits that pipeline, it's like bang. Yeah. It's like a cadence, a rhythmic cadence, if you will. I really enjoy that. And I really enjoy the fact that he brings in some of these sort of female. Right. He brings in, you know, throughout his whole solo career, he brings in a lot of great female singers. They're not as distinct on this album they they're they're more uh textured in than they than they are uh, say on zippos or you know a, a lot of his other stuff the the female vocals are, are really nicely textured in here this is a this is a really nice song yeah yeah i agree so when we go into the next track jumpsuit city which here again 
we've got the word suit right here in the title. So we're, we're back into that. And it's, it's interesting the way it's sort of used in this particular case. But, I, you know, I would I, I never thought of it, but I agree with you 100%. If this album finished on Jumpsuit City, I probably would have been perfectly fine with that. Yeah. And I say that because Jumpsuit City is, is again, one of those songs where I'm not convinced that I really like it, but it, man, does it get stuck in my head when I hear it. It just gets in there and will not undo itself. And as I was listening to it most recently, again, sort of gearing up for this conversation, I was reminded, and I haven't gone back and listened to it, and it would have been maybe a little earlier than than probably the, the pivotal album I'm thinking of, but it feels in some ways like The The, which is, again, I, I have no idea why I wrote that down. That's just sort of the feeling that I got when I listened to this. So, and part of the reason why I wanted to go back and sort of correct my mistake um, such as it was with with Fraser Spires is I love the harmonica in in this in this song. It's one of the things that sort of you know saves it for me. I think I don't like this song, but I I really enjoy listening to it, which probably makes no sense at all. But that's how I feel. Here's a question for you. Okay, there are different versions of suits, and I never. If I look on iTunes, it it's like twelve songs. If I look on Wikipedia, it's ten songs. I guess there's a a remix or like a you know a newer version of the album that introduced more. Actually, if you look on iTunes, it's like you know like a zillion songs because right. they have the, so all the all the demos and whatnot. So are we doing like the ten song or the twelve song? We're we're gonna do the ten song, although I. I I do have just something I just want to talk for like, you know, a minute on Black Canal. So so there are two bonus songs on the remastered edition. Those would be Black Canal and Out of My Life. I believe on Spotify, they're actually presented in, in the reverse order. It goes Raw Meat, Out of My Life, and then Black Canal. But but for the purposes okay. of, of this conversation, we will officially stop at Raw Meat. That's where my physical copy ends. So, uh, you know, officially we have bandwagon and raw meat. So, you know, it, it sounds, I'm getting the, the vibe, Tom, that you're not really on board with maybe either of these two songs. And so maybe we can talk about them together to a certain degree on, on right. you know, how they, they finish out the album. I think, you know, bandwagon is again even more bouncy perhaps than than anything we've heard so far and you know it, it's funny because when i was listening to it i find these two songs generally speaking to be unremarkable and, and it, that's not to say that i don't like them or that they're bad i just i don't think about them they don't leave any sort of impression on me good or bad what i did come across besides the fact that bandwagon is bouncy is I think there's a little, I I sort of heard hints of maybe some later model Genesis in, in Bandwagon that I wasn't really anticipating hearing in there, um, maybe having to do with some of the guitar lines more than anything else. And for Raw Meat, I think, you know, the, the intro part is oddly very vigil in a wilderness of mirrors to me. 
but that's about it. Uh, I mean, it's got a, you know, a, a nice big fat ending, which, you know, it, when you end the album there, maybe is great. Um, but, but again, the, neither of these songs really leaves a huge impression on me, generally speaking. And I, you know, I think as I would traditionally listen to this record, my brain would be like yours and almost stop on bandwagon. So my problem with this song, and, and listen, I'm, I, I love fish like no other. I, I, I can't well document say enough <laughs> fish, but I, I, I have a real big problem with this song because he goes beyond paying homage to Peter Gabriel. I mean, bandwagon sounds like when they sing that first bandwagon sounds like sledgehammer. And what's the, what's the hit that was on the next one? So the steam, um, steam and sledgehammer. I, I just, I just feel fish has his own voice and I just wish he didn't go so close to <laughs> Peter Gabriel here because he didn't need to. And it's just, it doesn't work. He, he does the, Peter Gabriel thing and then he just it, it's like a lame song after that it's not even yeah. I hate to uh, be so negative I, I really when I I always skip the song I, mean, I didn't for this purpose because I really wanted to make sure okay <laughs> is it something I missed all these years but no I just I, I really I, I, I'll, I'll be honest I think he, he kind of rips Peter Gabriel off here in some of the areas that that, that, that he goes here and while we're if we're <sighs> bringing these two together i mean raw meat is i mean poor fish doesn't like the attention he's you know of being famous and i mean all this i understand that there are going to be these problems when you are famous and i understand you know certainly when marillion was touring with misplaced childhood we know that fish just wasn't comfortable being in the super big spotlight. And that's one of the reasons was sort of the beginning of the downward spiral of why he ended up leaving Marillion. I understand all that. So maybe this is his way of, you know, just talking about it, but we just don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear woe is me when it comes to the rock star life. I, it just really hits me the wrong way. And, 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 and that's sort of an ongoing point of contention. I think, you know, fish has never seemed based on if you you know follow through the lyrics and, and even some of the way he has presented um, some of the trials and tribulations recently you know of you know touring and and dealing with covid and and, and whatnot you know it he's never seemed happy with fame whether he had a lot of it or not enough of it or you know it's just it, it's never seemed to have sat particularly well through through a lot of his career you know by all accounts um these days he seems to be quite content actually but yeah you know i i agree this is not something that i i'm sorry i'm not going to feel too terribly bad for you i don't know this for a fact but this may have been a song he wrote years ago closer to the time of misplaced childhood yeah uh, in response to that time in his life because we all know that how he felt about the big crowds. And like you said, he didn't feel comfortable in the bigger venues and it just, it wasn't him. So, you know, this may have been written previously and he maybe brought it out when he shouldn't have, maybe it was what he's feeling, but as a song, well, it, it's just, 
It is interesting, though, to juxtapose when we talk about these two songs together, because again, Bandwagon is 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 bouncy and and sort of upbeat, certainly musically. But here again, he he brings in the term bandwagon throughout this very sort of you know somber song, which is you know it's 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 just interesting that these two are right next to each other, have the the sort of connection of the the phrase bandwagon and how it's utilized in the two songs. So, you know, ev- even when you're not, you know, maybe having the best of times listening to it, Fish is very good at providing you some points of interest along the way. If we were going to be moving on, I do have a, a note on Black Canal too. <laughs> yeah. I, I know so, you had something you wanted to say yeah. about it. Yeah. So again, sort of officially we're we're gonna we're gonna finish at, at Raw Meat. And like I said, normally when I prepare for the palaver, I'm preparing off of my my physical media in most cases that I've had for a really long time. And so it's not it doesn't include all the the reissues and bonus tracks and, and all that other stuff. In this particular case, I for one reason or another was, you know, listening to this record on Spotify. And so it, it ran right from Raw Meat into these two bonus songs. And, and while I have not spent a huge amount of time with Black Canal and I haven't really dug into it, it did kind of start to resonate with me like the very first time I heard it. There's sort of a darkness or a brooding about it that is one of the things that I will generally respond to. It kind of like makes my ears perk up a little bit and it's like, ooh, what's going on here? And it's it's to me, it certainly seems different from everything else on this record, which probably explains why it wasn't on the record. It, it doesn't seem to fit in even on this this varied of of an album but it in some ways it certainly with the spoken word portion it does for me very much point to parts of sunsets on empire which you know is is an album that i've always been excited about and so i i was just i was very curious when i heard this i'm like huh this is interesting so this is something that i may spend some more time with moving forward but i, I did sort of i responded to it my thoughts on Black Canal are there are moments when I really like the song. I happen to really enjoy when Fish does his spoken word. He does it very well. And there, there are moments in his later in his solo career, uh, especially on like Zippos and um, Sunsets on Empire, like you mentioned, uh, that he does it. And he always has some really cool music underneath yeah. his spoken word. And that sort of makes it um, that much better. I mean, there's just something that you, that you've never heard before. Like, you're, oh my gosh, that's a really interesting piece of music. And he's just such an interesting guy when he, when, when, when he speaks and he's spoken words. So my thought is, is that, it, exactly what you said, Joe, it doesn't fit on the album because I, I just really don't like bandwagon and raw meat. I'm sort of exhausted <laughs> at that point, but I, I do enjoy it. And I'm, I'm glad that Black Canal was on the remaster. And But you're, you're exactly right, Joe. It, it, do, it does not belong on this album. It would be better put on Sunsets on Empire. But but I think it's in some ways it's almost too similar to things that are already on Sunsets on Empire, which are perhaps done better. It's a song without a home in some regards. But 
I, I do, like I said, I, I just, it perked my ears up. And so it, I'm glad that, you know, I had the opportunity to listen on Spotify and I got to to hear this, which is something I would not have otherwise, you know, listened to. And, and again, I think mainly for uh, having the experience of purchase the remastered Fellini Days and the deluxe edition of of A Feast of Consequences, you know, I I hate to say it, but I may have to go and 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 source all of these remasters just for you know the the background lore. It, the amount of of material that Fish provides you in these remasters is simply stunning. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on Feast of Consequences. I'm, I'm hoping you enjoy it as much as I do. Uh, one last thing about Black Canal. I really love the use of sound design at the end when they do the when when he puts in the dark bubbly sound effect. <laughs> yeah, over. I think sometimes bands put sound effects in as a, like a gimmick, and it's just done in the right way. The volume it just creates a nice texture and and really is appropriate. The sound effect really works to to give you a richness of the of the film and it's not overdone it's just it just comes in at the end like the last 20 20 seconds or so and it just feels like a, a rich instrument almost. yeah yeah it does i i agree i think it's uh you know and and, and i'm i'm glad that we've had the opportunity to do the the pink floyd segment because you know sound design was always such an integral part of of what they did for so much of their career and and it really sort of shown the light on that for me and so i'm i'm anytime i hear that now i'm like ooh, okay and i and i pay attention to it whereas before that i probably would have just you know i i would have taken it in without paying attention to it no one does it as well as as, as pink floyd so it's good that we have that bar set for them yep so so tom you know that pretty much closes out suits and i'm glad that you and i had the opportunity to have this conversation even if uh the rest of the palaver uh, didn't have the bandwidth for for you know taking in as much of suits as as they would have liked but uh you know it like i said this is an album that i've had for for quite some time and and my my overall feelings of it are are quite positive so i you know it's important for my ocd that we we cover it but also because i i think it's it's important that we do cover the full fish catalog in order to understand you know what it is that we're we're dealing with here and and how this is going to impact the later catalog so you know i'm i'm very happy that we did this but i'm also very happy for for next week's episode or the next episode in in terms of sunsets on empire which is you know an album i remember when it came out i probably had sunsets before i had suits because it was simply easier to source and and i did not understand obviously at the time the import of steven wilson i didn't even know who steven wilson was when that album came out and right. and looking at it now and knowing you know what i know and and the respect that i have for steven wilson um you know whether it's it's in porcupine tree um his own records you know that that we covered here on the palaver and, and that main sequence which is just out of this world good um you know i saw him perform live in dallas before the pandemic and it was mind-altering 
when you think about his work with Fish on Sunsets, um, the remaster of Brave, the remaster of the the Yes vinyls, I mean, you know, it, 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 he's just he's such a huge um, figure in in progressive rock. It's amazing to me that he did this record, and so we'll talk about that a lot more next episode. And I'm very much looking forward to that. But but for tonight, Tom. Thanks for your time. I appreciate you, uh, you know, finding some time in your schedule to to go through this record. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to sunsets as well. I want to add that I think it's important to note, and I'm sh- certainly we will note next week how important the Stephen Wilson influence is, even after sunsets. I think this was a pivotal album or I should say Sunsets was a pivotal album uh, to his career. And we certainly see a Stephen Wilson influence after that in the, in the songwriting. So I'm looking forward to talking about that. Outstanding. Well, good. I am very glad, Tom, again, like I said, that we got to do this. Look forward to next week. So have yourself a good one. Next time we'll talk about Sunsets, my friend. Can't wait. hope you've enjoyed this episode of progressive palaver as always we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you and we look forward to your thoughts comments feedback and questions you can reach us on facebook instagram or twitter we are at prog paula on all of those or search for progressive palaver you're welcome to email us our email address is prog paula that's p-r-o-g-p-a-l-a at gmail.com progressive palaver is available for subscription and download on apple podcasts google podcast spotify pandora or presumably wherever you find your podcast and we are as always hosted on soundcloud so until next time thanks for listening